0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hello, and uh, good morning. I, I was just sitting here with a hot mic. Good, good thing I didn't say anything embarrassing to embarrass you, not me, of course. Uh, so good to have everyone here. This Sunday morning, uh, it's officially February. Who saw that coming? We went through two, 2 2 2 this last week. So I hope you all wore your two twos on that day. Of course I did, of course. Um, Susie is up here and she goes, I totally missed that one. I, that's embarrassing. Um, man. Man. It feels like um, the years just go by quicker and quicker, don't they? Uh, one of the points of preaching and coming together every week to hear the Word of God is that we use our years well. Um, you know, I sometimes look back on my earlier life, and I know I'm young, but um, high school, even in college, and, and sometimes I thought, man, I like I feel like I, I I at least felt, at least thought, that I had things more figured out back then. You know, and you get older and older, and and it doesn't necessarily get easier, right? The the things that confront you are more complex. <laughs> the responsibilities you have are a little heavier. And so, uh, why we get together every Sunday to sit under the Word of God and to hear what what God thinks and and hear His words is so that we can we can really know who to submit to, right? Um, I think we all, all go through this phase in our life where we try to, we experiment with what it looks like to to follow our own desires, to submit to whatever we want. and And Jesus offers a very different way. It's the life of obedience to the word and will of God. And that's what we're coming into today on our fifth week of the journey through the road to recovery. And so, I'm excited. So, what I'm going to pray uh, for this morning, as we get started, is that God would give us really willing hearts, because because this is uh, this is kind of a shift from changing our thinking to changing our doing this week in in the uh, eight week series on the road to recovery or finding restoration in our lives. So, let's just pray that God gives us willing and obedient hearts today as we hear from His Word. God, we Sometimes it feels like we come uh, before you, so wound up. I think of <laughs> uh, like a kid who comes to the end of the night and is just ready to keep going but needs to rest. And I pray that by your spirit, you will just help us rest in you this morning, to rest our hearts, to put down our, our defenses to really hear from you and hear your word is true. Give us the courage to submit our lives to you. We also want to start by confessing the ways that we have not submitted to you, the ways that we have experimented and experienced doing whatever we want and found that that is not the right way, that's not the good way. So God, show us your way again today and help us follow it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's our intro to our series. You have been stolen from, and what has been taken cannot be replaced with money. It is your very life that has been lost. Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This sermon series will show how your life was lost and how Jesus can restore a new and full life. These eight principles are also called the road to recovery and is part of Celebrate Recovery. We hope that many of you who find new life in Christ will choose to help others be restored to life through Celebrate Recovery at the Coffee Oasis. So, the moment I found out we were having a child, and then when I found out we were having a son, naturally, the first thing that came to mind was, what sport will we put him in first? And I was always very frustrated when people were like, well, maybe he's not going to be a good athlete, and I was like, maybe he's going to be an amazing athlete. (laughs) Right? Why do you have to go that way? Uh, We just don't know yet. (laughs) This excitement... Uh, to see how he interacts with others, to see how he dribbles a ball or, or hits one, or you know whatever that looks like. It's, it isn't about how well he does; it's about him doing it and the joy that I experienced when I was put in sports as a child. I have very vivid, vivid memories of my time playing pee wee baseball, playing uh, soccer, and and all the sports. And the experience is very formative, and it's. And, and, uh, it shapes not only the kids, but it really shapes the family, right? Uh, it shapes the patience of a parent while they watch their child not do well for like that's how everybody starts. We all start whiffing the first time we try hitting a baseball or a, uh, you know, the first time we try to dribble, we trip over the ball. That's the, the nature of the experience. And so as we, we get into this series talking about submitting ourselves to God, it, it's helpful to think. Back to what it was looked like to be in sports for the first time, or, or watch now this, this group of four-year-olds as they aren't submitting to the coach or, or the laws of physics or anything else. And, and, and they go about right, finding just what it means to be a team or listen, or, But more often than anything, it is an experience in seeing what it looks like to, to not submit. They all have the right clothes. Right? They have the right shoes, but they don't have the right way yet. <laughs> and more often than not, they are uh, dancing to their own tune, quite literally. Uh, <laughs> I remember playing pee-wee baseball, and there was this kid, literally, who would sit in the outfield. Classic left-field move, right? And he was just dancing, right? It's that, and we like that is what it looks like until we learn as we grow older and it grows in excellence to really submit to the teaching of a, co- a coach. This uh, part of our pathway to restoration or pathway to re- uh, recovery is what it talks about in the book the movement from boyhood to manhood or from being a, a girl to a woman. It is what separates those who will just be about talk to those who will actually start experiencing what it looks like to be restored or recover. It moves beyond words and moves into a place of action. And, and this, is, uh, this really happens. We really see this in our lives. We see it just in the lives of people who, uh, you know, playing sports, they eventually stopped simply because they, they weren't progressing. People who, um, you know, are, they've gained in age, but they've not gained in wisdom. And they, they remain in that place where they're acting like children. We see this in the world, right? That happens in our spiritual lives as well. People who, who heard about Jesus, they maybe even confessed faith in Jesus, but they are what the Bible calls spiritual infants, and that's a that's a real thing. And and maybe some of us look at our own lives and we feel like, man, I, <laughs> there was a time I confidently put my faith in Jesus, but I see the way I live that out, and I feel like a child still. I don't I don't feel like I don't think like I, I really know him much better than when I first put my faith in him. We're constantly maybe living irresponsibly, constantly naming someone else to tell us and show us over and over and over again. That's not how you act. This is, doing this will hurt yourself and will hurt other people. It's like the conversations I have with my child all the time is, hey, this is not the way we use our hands. This is not the way we use our words, right? It's not the way you treat your mother or your father or anyone for that matter, right? Where are you at in your life, in your walk? This is what it looks like to submit. It's not the question of should you submit, it is who you're submitting to. Are you submitting to your desires and your own impulses? Are you submitting to God and his way? The very simple definition of submitting is to put yourself under authority. Whose authority are you under? And let me tell you, if you don't know this already, if you put yourself under your own authority, you will find yourself very lost because you'll find yourself over and over going, I don't know, I don't know the way forward. Whose authority are you under? Are you putting yourself under God's authority or are you ultimately rebelling against God's authority? So, like every week I'm going to work our way here. I'm sure you're already wondering, like, man, this is tough. Should I, like, take a bathroom break? Stick with me. We're going to find our way forward in principle five. So we started um, now six weeks ago, right? Counting Worship Sunday, we started in principle one, and that was I am not God. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. Man, that that was where you kind of you can start breathing. I can admit I can't manage this. (laughs) My life is out of control on my own. I'm not God. Principle two, God is real. Earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me recover. Uh, Man, that feels so good after you say, I can't do it. My life is unmanageable that we can turn and say, man, I believe that God has the power to help me. The one who created everything, the world and everything in it has the power to speak into my life and and help me change. The third is I'm committing to Christ. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Commit to follow him. And the the fourth being confession. Confess to God. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and the person I trust. We talked about those as the the three directions of relationships, right? I'm going to live in that relationship with God, with others, and with myself. What does it look like to even with myself live in confession, live in, in honesty? Now, we've moved... From confession to this, this place of submission, because in confession, we recognize, if we really understand what it looks like to repent and to be forgiven that the past is gone. There's this freedom that comes from confession, right? To be able to say to God, look, God, you know me. You actually know more than I even know how to confess. All that is forgiven, done away with, gone. But many of us remain scared by the future. I know that my past is taken care of, but what does the future hold if all I've known is the behavior that keeps getting me in trouble? Amen, right? We're like, we've got to that point. We're like, I'm so happy that God looks at me, he's not mad at me, he loves me, he cherishes me, but I just don't know what my next step is. I don't know what tomorrow will hold if if all I know is making mistakes or hurting other people or hurting myself over and over again. Well, this is where... Confession must move to obedience, and that is what we call submission, where confession, the forgiveness from fast, moves to obedience, and I'm, I want to walk faithfully in the way of God into the future. <clears throat> this movement often is not the expectation of what it means to be a Christian, and that's wrong. A.W. Tozer says this really helpfully. He says, uh, he expressed his feeling that a notable heresy has come in throughout evangelical circles, widely accepted that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as Savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him, his Lord. He calls that a heresy. What he means is it's just wrong thinking. It's wrong for us to think and to hold. And, and so many who, who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, believe that it is possible to go, I'm forgiven. I need Jesus as Savior, but I don't need to then obey what he is saying. And that's the movement from... From uh, principle four to principle five, from confessing to God to then submitting ourselves completely to what he says. What does it look like to live a life of obedience? And principle five is defined this way, voluntarily submit every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Submit ourselves to God. How do we do this? Well, The Bible shows us the way. So I'm gonna spend our time now just unpacking James 4, 1 through 10. And um, if you want a helpful read over just what practically day-to-day it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, James is a great book for that. I think later this year, we're actually gonna do a sermon series on James, just practical Christianity. It's so good. So um, if you've got a Bible, follow along with me, James chapter 4. Starting in verse one, it says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace, and that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now this verse is not a real pick-me-up. I mean, and it, it, it actually says grieve, mourn, and wail. So, you know what we're getting into. Some real honest stuff here. And it dives right in. Why are you fighting? Man, don't you feel like this, this, these verses should have just been like the banner over 2020, right? Why are you fighting? Why are you fighting? Thankfully, it goes on to ask, We feel like we need to argue, it says, because we have wrong motives. We approach our days, our hours, our decisions, our jobs, everything, often just with wrong motives. These desires, it says, that battle within us. We don't have something, so we covet it. We want it, so we kill for it. Now, it might not be that that first happens actually. It might start in our mind. It might start in our hearts. But we start with this motive And all of a sudden, it turns into us against them, lashing out. Um, I get to bear witness to this all the time. Um, Marriage. It is a place of tension, often. Um, When I am doing pre-marriage counseling, or you just talk to somebody who's getting married, you'll oftentimes hear them say, very proudly, we never fight. That, you know, and, and my response is, well, that is probably going to be a problem. Like that, you don't just not fight. You don't just not have disagreements. But it, it is something. I mean, it probably is everybody. It's probably just not 90%. It's probably 100% of people that when they're dating. Now, thankfully, Hannah and I broke up twice. We got a lot of arguments out. Um, So we got to fight a lot before we got married, and that's made marriage easier, honestly. So fight a lot when you're engaged. That's my recommendation. (laughs) Find out what you have to fight about and just get it out of the way. No, but you know what I mean? It's this, (laughs) this idea that we are exempt. I'm not, you're not, we're not exempt from discovering desires in our hearts that put us against other people. Now he, he digs in. Why do we find Are you, our our motive is wrong? It is that we seek over and over and over our our own pleasure. Like we seek the easiest path for us. And the easiest path for us often means walking over somebody else to get there. Right? At the expense of someone else, I get what I want. And this pleasure often is cultivated in the friendships that we, we build. And that, that's what it goes on to talk about here in James 4, 4 to 6. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? We have made easy friendships, friendships that will agree with us, friendships that will say, yeah isn't so-and-so whoever we're talking about whoever we're gossiping about whoever we we it's easy who's not in the room to pick on yeah aren't they the ones that are in our way this is why so many marriages do end up falling apart oftentimes it is that we've found friendship with somebody that just agrees with us that our pleasure our desire should be found right It's not not the only reason why marriages don't make it, but oftentimes we start making these friendships that say, yeah, the easier way, your way, your pleasure is the one you should, should seek above all other things. And it's not just marriage, it's other relationships, other things in our life. The world that is being referred to here is thinking and living that is in opposition to the way of God. The world represents a godless system, one that doesn't see God in his sovereignty, his supremacy, his his governance over all things. It doesn't acknowledge that at all. The primary governing factor in the life of the world is your desire. You do you, right? You do all the time. That literally is the motivating system of the world. Now, when it talks about friendship with the world here, I, you know, I think that can be, um, it's hard to receive because we think of a lot of like the world to us just kind of means everything. And that's why we really wanna see it as this, this destructive way of thinking that we often let into our lives. Now, um, if it's hard to think about it for ourselves, maybe it'd be easier to think about it um, as I do most things now in terms of parenting, right? If you think about this in terms of healthy friendships, Think of parents wanting healthy friendships for their kids. Think of the parent who, seeing their child, start changing in the behaviors, that they are becoming more distant, more rude because of someone they're spending time with. They don't want to spend time with family anymore. They were raised to say please and thank you. Now they, they don't even say anything, they just grab it. They just want whatever they want, right? When you see that, as a parent you are, and what it says about God here, it, in, in, um, it says that God jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us. God jealously longs for, and is it is that feeling of a parent who's seeing their child be rude, disrespectful, not want to spend time with their family anymore, that the parent is jealous for their child, right? A good, loving parent gets jealous for their child, and will make decisions, hey, you're not going to spend time with that friend anymore, and and what happens typically for the child? You don't understand me, right? It's just like, like, like what comes up within us. Is, oh, yeah, Elliot's back there screaming with me. Right? It's, this, it's this feeling of you don't get me. I'm not going to submit to you. You don't understand the right way. I'm going to submit to who? King me. King me. That's, that's where I'm going to submit. That's where I'm going to... And what motivates this and is called out, what motivates this is pride. We think we know better. Pride, pride, pride. That's all it is. The scary thing is that once we have gone down the road of pride, we do not know how to change course. We just do not know how to change course. Once, once we have stopped submitting to God and we've submitted to ourselves, it is impossible it's impossible to change course and start just on our own way, submitting to anything else other. So it's pride, and the proud will never experience freedom from hurts, habits and hang-ups. The proud will never experience freedom from hurts, habits and hang-ups. So how do we move forward? Well, we've had this amazing path helping us along the way. Where does it start? I admit that I'm not God. Let's just start there. I admit that I'm not God. And once that I, I admit that I'm God, I, I'm going to start by recognizing then who God is. If I'm not God, like there's got to be God out there, right? I'm going to recognize who God is, so I'm going to then confess to Jesus. I'm going I'm to commit my life to him. Then I'm going I'm to start unburdening my heart to him, right? It's a good step in the right direction. And, and God is so faithful and just and so eager to receive those that come to him like that. But I'll tell you what happens next. God is not going to be satisfied with you stopping right there. And you're not going to be satisfied with you stopping right there. The next step is submitting to him. So, so you come to Jesus. I'm, I'm not, God, I need you. I'm going to start looking through the ways that I've hurt myself and hurt other people in my life. I'm going to confess those things. But God, now I want to hear what you think. I want to hear your way and I want to submit to that. I want to do that. I'm going to move from words and thought to action. I'm going to submit myself to you. And the path to submission is this. James 4, 7. To 10: submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, He will flee from you. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Submit to God. This is a voluntary action. It will not be forced and will not be coerced. In this country, we so celebrate personal choice. ultimate freedom revolves around that, and there is a personal choice involved in submitting to God. But once we submit to God, once we commit to Him, then we must obey Him. Now, I have a brother-in-law who just signed up for the army, and he recognized very quickly that there is a difference between signing and boot camp, right? Sure. Like you can get excited about signing. And I don't know, I've, I've not served. Um, I admire those that do. Um, and I'm sure you know way better than what I'm talking about that there's a difference. There's almost an excitement probably to signing, right? Like, man, I'm part of this branch, I'm, I'm doing this. And then you, you go, and my brother-in-law had a real, uh, man, I mean, we saw such a transformation in those six weeks of boot camp. Like he, he was like, literally, he, he wrote me and he goes, I don't know him that well. And he goes, will you send me verses to memorize? I need that in my mind. And this is even somebody going to boot camp who, who wouldn't have even said he really was following Jesus at all. And he was like, I need something to hold on to because at boot camp, from my understanding, you literally are broken, Right? You are taught no longer to submit to yourself, but you are taught to submit to commands. And there's a difference between, right, that commitment. This is real, right? That commitment, oh, I'm excited, I'm going to join. And then you go. <laughs> and then you have to obey what is being told to you. Now, there is that same thing in the Christian life. You can say, I follow Jesus. I commit to him. But then you must act according to what God is asking of you. If you want to fully live in him, Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Your path will remain incredibly crooked if you're not learning to listen to the commander-in-chief, Jesus. And what does he say? That's why it's so important then to read the Bible. And, And he has these These ways he just crystallizes it. God just crystallizes what we should do. He gives us the Ten Commandments, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't commit adultery, right? Don't bear false witness. on your father and mother. These things that he's like, do these things. He gives us the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Commission. That we're supposed to go into the whole world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And surely he will be with us to the very end of the age. Right? He's crystallized it here in his words, but how often do we go, man, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And, and it's typically because we are still at the place in between signing. Like, man, I commit to Jesus and then hearing and doing what he says. And and a lot of us are just okay with those words remaining gray instead of black and white or even better, red, right there, right? Like, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what Jesus says. That's what it looks like to submit to God. And in 1 John 2, 3, he just says it painfully clear. We know that we have come to know him if we do what he commands. How do you know you have come to know Jesus. It's not, I said something. It is, I am doing something. <laughs> I literally am, I'm keeping his commands, I'm actively. And that's why I think oftentimes, and we, we hear this all the time, people want this affirmation. People literally come to me wanting me to tell them whether or not they're a follower of Jesus. And I cannot do that. I, I, that's not something I am able to do <laughs> as a pastor. <laughs> What affirms for us that we're following him is if we are hearing his words and obeying them, right? Um, I'm not saying those living in perfect obedience are the only ones following Jesus. I'm just saying there's not gonna be the affirmation that I am. Like so many people, like, right, again, p- family example, right? Elliot will never stop being my son. There's just nothing he can ever do. He could change his name and do whatever he wants. He just will never stop being my son, right? Right? But if he does those things, will he still feel like my son? Will he be able to, to say proudly, man, I love my dad and mom? No, but he'll do those things that break that relationship, right? And over time, he'll maybe be in a place that he'll be saying, man, I just feel so, f- I just don't know. I don't have that relationship anymore. That doesn't mean he's not my son anymore, but to, to live in the joy of that relationship is if Elliot doesn't punch me every time I say it's bedtime. Right, that hurts, All right? So, so it, it is in, in him understanding the good heart of his dad and walking in that, right? That, that is also what it looks like for us to submit to God. Is understanding his good heart and doing what he says. And the second part is this resist the devil. Right? The devil, it says in 1 Peter, is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Rebellion is the way of the devil. The devil has been rebelling from the beginning and he will tempt us to rebel. Those who are wanting to remain faithful, he will show you opportunities to not be faithful. And it oftentimes doesn't begin with the worst thing. It's the tiny little cheat, right? You don't start with murder. You start with hating somebody in your heart. You don't start with, Committing adultery in the bed, it starts in the mind, right? That is where it starts. It's the tiny cheat where you have to resist the devil and make him flee from you. Know the work of the devil. Know how he stirs up rebellion and animosity between people and remember that you are in a war, right? I mean, going back to our military example, right? You're in boot camp not thinking, I'm training for a life of peace and tranquility, now, the only way to fully live into that is understanding that there's a conflict. And many of us constantly find ourselves surprised by how quickly and easily we'll give into the temptation of Satan because we just imagine we're supposed to be comfortable and we try to live in that comfort, right? Not remembering that the devil is a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Now, it doesn't end there. The third step is this. It says here, come near to God and he will come near to you. Submission is not something you do alone. It's something you get a lot of help with. It's something that you do with God by coming close to him, by being near him. And every single Christian from Billy Graham to seven-year-old Billy down the street who's learning to ride his bicycle all needs intimacy with God to be faithful and submitting, right? Everybody, I need closeness to God to submit to him. I don't get better and better so I get to get further away from God in submitting to him. (laughs) Hopefully I'm submitting better and better so I'm getting closer and closer to God and understanding and hearing his beautiful words that he longs to speak over us. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The fourth is this, wash your hands and purify your hearts. And this one kind of comes with, with some extra force. And if you're reading this like me, I, I think you're probably like, hey, be nice, <laughs> right? It says wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're like, okay, James, you didn't have to say that. Right? <laughs> why can't you just say, wash your hands and purify your hearts? He's like, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> like, why? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think partly we read very different things when we see this than they did. Wash your hands to us means what? Soap, an understanding of bacteria. Isn't that interesting? We read that and we all of a sudden start thinking of things that are very modern, Right? And that wasn't what they were thinking. They had no idea what a germ was back then. So when it's like, wash your hands. It's not like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, like, remember early COVID and they're like, wash your hands. And you're like, who stopped along the way? Because I just feel like everybody should do that all the time. Um, when it says wash your hands here, it's literally talking about the, the cleansing when you were walking into the temple right? You walk into the temple and you're throwing some water on your hands. Are you getting ready for the sacrifice? It's this ritual cleansing that more than anything was, was symbolic of I'm approaching a holy God. It's saying that you need to keep confessing, keep going before God. Make a ritual of your confessing. It doesn't stop there. It's every day find moments in the day to, to say, God, man, you know my heart, you know things I've thought or, or things I've already forgotten that I did. I'd like, I want to bring that before you. <laughs> I want to, throughout the day, wash my hands and come before you, a holy God. Ritually, I want to do this. I just want to make a habit of it, coming before God in this way, purifying your hearts, you double-minded. What this means is, uh, literally double-minded means constant indecision between two opinions, trying to hold opposite things together. And the purifying process they would have thought of is the purifying process of, of gold or silver or some other precious metal that you're wanting to get the most pure thing possible, right? All the things, all the impurities, I want to burn that away. And so he says, purify your heart, your double mind. It's going, you're still trying to up, hold together the way of God and the way of the world, the, the old habits and the new habits. And the idea of purifying is going, yeah. I want to have less and less and less of the old habits. I want to have more and more and more of the way of God. Amen? That's just simply it. He's going, every day, man, come and just come before God over and over again. Every time he's excited to have you. He's jealous for the spirit he put in you. And, he, and then the goal here is I'm becoming more and more like him and less and less my stupid ways. I'm putting those behind me. And, and the way I'm walking towards is more and more and more of God. Dallas Willard, who's such a light when it comes to great modern authors, he says this, may I suggest you cannot hear God. If you cannot hear God, you may require surgery on your soul. I did that years ago, and now I hear God loud and clear. That's what he's saying here. If you can't hear from God, there might be something blocking it, right? You might have to have something cut out. Like something that old habit, hang up, hurt that you literally are like, man, God, take this away because I am. It, this is what it's front and center in my life. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. The next part is this: grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Does it surprise you that grieving and mourning and wailing is a part of this journey? I think if we've come this far together, it's probably a place you're already approaching, maybe. I think if you sit with God and you're in a place you feel far away from him, you're not sitting in that conversation ready to start laughing. You probably sit there and are trying to actually access more grief. Ever found that? Like, God, I just, I feel numb. I don't feel anything. And that's maybe what concerns me the most. It's not, like, man, I, I don't even want to ask for a show of hands. it probably be all of us. It's not that we're going, like, between laughter and mourning. It's the weird gray space of going, God, I just don't feel anymore. And 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 I think probably what we start seeking isn't, I want to start laughing, but I want to get to the root of it. I want I, I need a good cry over. It. I was like. I want to get rid of this stuff that's been keeping me from you for so long, and identify. I think once we identify that there is actually good things and actually bad things, and, and this is tremendous. In in our what I just said is is um, countercultural. <laughs> Happiness is not a chemical reaction alone. Feelings can be—that's God made us very complex—but it is not that alone. Sorrow isn't that alone, right? Those things can be involved, but when we find it in our lives, the place of blah, oftentimes we need to look and say, "What is keeping me in the place where?" I struggle to find meaning or anything matters. I I was reading a book this last week called Jesus Outside the Lines by Scott Sauls, and he shared um, this story of watching an interview with Mariah Carey, but you didn't see that coming. It says at the time she was in her late 20s and she had accumulated more number one hits than anyone except Elvis and the Beatles. And then the interviewer asked if there was anything left for her to accomplish and she sat quietly for a moment and replied, happiness. The interviewer was thrown off by the answer and asked how it could be true. How was such great success? So much talent, so many hits, so many fans, so much applause, so much money. Could you not be happy? And she didn't have to think long, right away, she looked at the interviewer and she said she could hear a thousand praises and then just one criticism and the one criticism would overrule the thousands of praises and would wreck her emotionally. See, the invitation to submit to God looks at your life and your desire for happiness. We desire to be happy. That's a good thing. And God says that matters. But the path to that isn't here to happy. The path is here to finding out, God, see my heart, see what's in me. Search me and know me. And that's why it says in Matthew 5, 4, happy are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Happy are those who are sad and don't seek false comfort. Happy are those who are sad because of a hurt habit or hang up and they seek comfort in the right place. They seek comfort in Jesus. And this is maybe one of the, the ways that we'll see that this path isn't quick and it is not easy, right? The, the, the steps aren't like, I'm gonna go home and do paths one through six today. <laughs> it's the beginning of the journey towards true comfort and truly submitting to God. The last part is this, humble yourselves, humble yourselves before God. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace, shows favor to the humble. C.S. Lewis said really helpfully, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking I'm stupid, I'm dumb. I wish I, I should just do better. That's not it. That's not Humility. Humility is, he says, thinking of yourself less. That movement from confession to action isn't a movement of self-chastisement. I need to do better, do better, do more, do more, do more. That's not it at all. The gospel is actually, the gospel is contrary to that message. The, The humbling of self comes back to the place where we draw near to God and ask him to help us, for him to do the work, for him to be the surgeon, right? I've never seen someone who needs like gallbladder removed and they're just in there trying to fix, you know, that would be extremely strange and weird and should be on YouTube if it ever happened, right? It's just like, that doesn't happen. (laughs) We come to the the God who is the great physician, the God who is the wonderful counselor and the one who can, but that requires us humbling ourselves and seeking him first. So, what does this look like? Um, I'm sorry, I'm way over my time right now. Um, I just want to share a quick example of what this could look like in, in a life. Um, whenever I preach, I want to. I, I try to like think of a time in my life or, or a an individual and. Um, <laughs> The person who came to mind was a guy named Ed Ewing, who um, most people in the world do not know. Um, Ed probably knows very little, very few people, um, but Ed maybe is the guy that most clearly describes what it looks like to submit to God. Um, When Ed Ewing came to know Jesus, he uh, was um, married, Two kids, and um, when he came to follow Jesus, his wife wanted nothing to do with it, and she left him and turned the kids against him. Um, Ed's older now and still really wanting to rebuild that relationship, but he's faithfully following Jesus. He worked in the shipyard, Um, amazing man. I I got to know Ed because he became our, our, like, Guy that did everything at Coffee Oasis. I mean, you needed a door replaced. You needed a light fixture replaced. He was this quiet guy who would just do everything, right? And nobody, really nobody knew his pain. Nobody knew his story of what it looked like because he was a guy who, was quick to say yes, always thankful for the experience, right? Always thankful for the ability to come serve. I don't know if I've met a guy like that. I mean, it is that guy that, like... So excited. He shared with me once his um, four sermons of my grandfather, Roland, my dad's dad. And um, he came to know Jesus under the ministry of my grandfather. And uh, and I thought, man, that's what it looks like to submit to God. Ed doing what he's good at, humbly, not drawing attention to himself, faithfully. And yet a guy who's so, so steady. (laughs) I was like, man, I want to be that. Right, And I think this principle, submission to God, is probably most often found in those places. Found in those places that it's hard to notice. It is probably true that most people that you see that are very loud and everyone thinks represent Jesus well, probably have more crap in their life than you could ever imagine it's probably those guys and women who man they just aren't noticed and they're being faithful right who oftentimes is worried you're going to find the people you probably should reach out and be like man show me the way let me walk with you somebody who's gone through the season of mourning and walked through it and you can really sit with them this is how we learn the way of Jesus in these places and from, from these people um, you can be that story you can be the story of someone who submits to God. Um, one advice I would give you along the way is to not make it public at all. This isn't something you're going to see somebody post about on Facebook, right? This isn't something you're gonna, somebody's going to brag about. It's not. It's that work that happens in the intimacy with God to say, God, I have followed myself for so long. Show me your way. I want to follow your way follow your will. This is how we follow Jesus's words and turn everything we've said into action. And I promise you, you can do it if you draw near to him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for just the invitation we got again this morning. to see all you are and all that you offer us. The way you work isn't to constantly come to us and remind us of our faults and our failures. You're coming. When we see you, when we see your holiness, I know that just comes to the surface of our hearts and you're coming ready to forgive and and you are coming faithful and you're coming excited to show us the way home and to welcome us home. And I pray that we will take you up on that invitation we'll move from that place of confessing to the place of submitting we will see parts of our life transformed and becoming like jesus not to the fanfare of other people but simply satisfied in our hearts knowing that we are yours you love us so much And for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, We are going to take communion together while we sing and invite you to do that, remembering uh, Jesus on the night he was betrayed. This is always uh, a great opportunity to um, immediately put into practice uh, what we've heard in the sermon. and, And it's just remembering Jesus, the one who, knowing all that you are, took your sin and took your shame and it was put to death with him on the cross. And when he was raised to new life, he gave you proof that you can be raised to life, new life as well. So you remember Jesus who took the bread and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. Took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So I invite you to, to take that. Go back and take that as we, we sing together. Also, if you'd, if you'd like to be prayed for, Ibrahim is over here on the side. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you.